0: Have you ever noticed how people like to see the word free? Free. Free barbecue. I saw that recently. Free barbecue. (laughs) I did. I saw free barbecue. Now, honestly, that just kind of makes me hesitant. I don't know. It's just me. Um, I have seen on Skyline free beans and rice. You seen that? Free coffee. You know, when you go into Sam's, there's free coffee. There's free coffee at Home Depot. You're supposed to buy something so the coffee is free. (laughs) Free donuts. How about free college tuition? Isn't that great? Hey, I'm for free college tuition, kind of. Unless the professors decide to donate they're teaching and somebody pick up the electric bill there at the university. Uh, But you know, that's, that's one of the big selling points today is free college, free health care. We all know that none of those things are free. There's nothing free. Freedom is not free. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. The message freedom is not free. Let me, uh, take a little bit of time just for this week that's coming up. Today's July 1, 242 years ago, that'd be 1776, July 1, it was a Monday, and that Monday they were supposed to debate um, the resolution that Richard Henry Lee had presented a month earlier, June, on June the 7th, calling for the 13 colonies to officially separate from Great Britain. And so they, they put it off, the vote, till July 1. That Monday, they were going to vote. They commissioned five people to draft the official document. You probably are familiar with that. That uh, five-member group included John Adams, Thomas Jefferson. And so all the group decided that the most prolific writer among them was Thomas Jefferson. So he, was, he had from June... Seven to June 28th to draft that document. The official uh, draft of the Declaration of Independence was presented on June 28th, the, fi- the previous Wednesday. And, of course, they were debating it. And they were supposed to vote on July 1. The majority of the delegates, 50-plus people there, were in favor of the resolution. Rem- REMEMBER, IT'S ABOUT A RESOLUTION. THE DOCUMENT WAS TO OFFICIALLY ANNOUNCE IT. BUT IT WAS THE RESOLUTION THAT WAS BINDING, THAT RICHARD HENRY LEE HAD PRESENTED. MAJORITY, VAST MAJORITY OF THE PEOPLE IN THAT MEETING ON JULY 1 WERE IN FAVOR, BUT EVERYONE FELT THAT IT HAD TO BE UNANIMOUS. SO THEY DELAYED IT ANOTHER DAY TO GIVE THE PEOPLE WHO HAD A LITTLE PROBLEM WITH IT TIME TO THINK ABOUT IT. They were kind in favor. They just didn't know if it was the right timing. And even on July the 2nd, when they took the vote, there was some debate. Principally, one of the delegates from Pennsylvania stood up. Pennsylvania was one of the the colonies along with New York, South Carolina. There was like five of them that had problems with the timing. And this man stood up, gave a speech, why they shouldn't do it right then. And John Adams was the one that answered that. BUT THEY WENT AHEAD AND TOOK THE VOTE ON JULY THE 2ND. AND IT WAS UNANIMOUS OF 12 COLONIES. 12 COLONIES REPRESENTATION VOTED UNANIMOUS. WHY DO WE NOT CELEBRATE JULY THE 2ND? WELL, THERE'S A REASON WHY. BUT JOHN ADAMS WROTE A LETTER. HE AND ABIGAIL WERE PROLIFIC WRITERS WHEN THEY WERE APART. AND HE WROTE A LETTER THAT'S FAMOUSLY Um, declaring that July the 2nd will be celebrated for generations beyond (laughs) as one of the great epics of of American history. Well, it's not celebrated, is it? The reason why it's not is that they were tinkering with that document and they they carved it up somewhere to to James Adams' chagrin. He just couldn't believe that they were butchering the masterpiece of what he considered Jefferson's uh, uh, work. BUT WHAT WE HAVE IS A MASTERPIECE. AND IT WAS VOTED ON ON JULY THE FOURTH. AND THE RESOLUTION WAS FINALLY APPROVED. SO, I'LL EXPLAIN A FEW THINGS A LITTLE BIT LATER. BUT THIS IS, THESE PEOPLE, WHETHER THEY say, SAID I OR RAISED THEIR HAND, I DON'T KNOW. Uh, MAYBE IT WOULD BE EASIER to RESEARCH HOWEVER THEY VOTED, WHETHER IT'S BY VOICE OR BY RAISING HANDS OR BY BALLOT. I DON'T, I don't REALLY KNOW WHICH WAY THE VOTE WAS TAKEN but they all knew this that every single one of them that said yes or raised their hand to affirm a separation of those 13 colonies and by the way New York did sign on later New York New York huh and and this is a little tidbit for you uh, the the revolutionary war was already going on there was already fighting general george washington was in new york at the time And a hundred British ships that had arrived not too far earlier, warships, there was one of those ships that had 60 cannon guns on it. Just one warship had almost as many cannons as they had on the shoreline of New York. So it was a show of power from Britain. And when Washington got the declaration that they approved a few days after it had happened, he stood on the steps of the City Hall in New York and read it to a crowd. And here was the, the one colony representation that was a little hesitant, but they ended up signing on. When he read that declaration, you're going to be shocked at this, the streets of New York City was teeming with crazy people. No. They went ballistic in a good way. They were celebrating, and it turned into like a semi-riot. And there was a statue of King George that they went and pulled down, chopped it up, and it is true, later on it was melted down for musket balls for the Continental Army. How's that? That's the way to handle a problem. (laughs) And I'm going to share a little bit more about that later, but I want to take you to two statements that Jesus makes about freedom over in John chapter 6. So if you'll turn there, or John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Two statements that, when I make these statements and I repeat them, you know them. You you've said them many times. Maybe we don't remember exactly the context or where they were were written in the Gospels. But John the Apostle had a knack for. Um, the Holy Spirit just impressed him to write out some of these confrontations that Jesus had. I mean, chapter six, seven, and eight. It is wonderful to read how all of those confrontations came against the Lord. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to begin reading verse 31 here in just a moment. But Jesus is in the temple courtyard. Earlier, it says that he's, he's where people are bringing the offerings and where the average person, the average man, by the way, could go and, and pray and bring his offerings and worship. And he's in that courtyard. Nobody could go into the temple proper except the priest, But he's out there teaching... And he's in, he's in an area that's considered very holy. And he's getting these con- confrontations with people. So in verse 20, 31, this is where we pick up this section. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And here's that first statement. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Heard that before? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, this is where the king says, Verily, verily, it's it's the Hebrew word, Amen, Amen, I really, really mean this. This is really, really true. I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Have you ever realized the context of those two statements? They're in the same setting, and it's about their reaction to what Jesus said about, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they react to it, and then he employs this analogy about a slave. Slave doesn't have a permanent place in the family, but a son has a permanent place. And the son, when he sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Jesus is talking to him. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. You have no space for me. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. They answered, Abraham is our father. Jesus replied, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I've heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father. They replied, we are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. Let me take you back to verse 31, because it's kind of interesting that it starts with, to the Jews that believed him, Jesus said this. In other words, there was a group of people that looked like they were believing what Jesus was saying. But it's almost as though he knew that they really weren't. And he put them to the test by what he said. And what turns out is that their faith really wasn't in him. Where was their faith? Where was their confidence? their biological connection to Abraham. We are Abraham's descendants. Even though Jesus pointed out, you don't act anything like Abraham. You might claim a connection to him, but here you are trying to kill me. Abraham never did stuff like that. And so he challenged them. And this was what the religious leaders, this was their problem they had with Jesus. He was talking about a different way to God. And in their minds, it was their way. It was their connection to Abraham. It was the festivals. It was them doing the things they were doing. And Jesus just turned all that upside down. Here is where Jesus takes them. He said, if you are following me, if you will continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples. If you really embrace what I'm saying and you stick with it, I think uh, Eugene Peterson wrote it like this in verse 31. It says, then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. And then he says, you will know the truth. Verse 32, right? If you continue in my word, it will lead you to the truth, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I don't know if they paid any attention to the word truth, but it looks like the only word they paid attention to was what? Free. He said, you will know the truth, and they just kind of didn't hear that. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free, and they took exception to that because to them he was talking about some kind of slavery. That we, we've never been enslaved by anybody, and, and really and truly, that's not true because they were occupied by the Roman government. They weren't their own people, but they, were, they took offense at him saying that I don't think you people are free. And they reacted to that. They weren't any closer to, to believing in Jesus from His miracles, from His teaching, than there were that day when He challenged them. Because here's the reality. Miracles do not save people. Now, we heard testimony in, in Indonesia and Sri Lanka that miracles can be the confirmation of the gospel where it opens people's heart. But we support a missionary. I'm, I'm not going to call by name because they're in a sensitive country. And, and he sent this prayer request for this a Kurdish man, a Kurdish family that had been witnessing to, and he had cancer, and they prayed for him, and God miraculously healed him. But he rejected giving his life to Jesus, completely rejected it. And the prayer request is this please pray for this man who God did a miracle in his life, but he still rejected Jesus. And now he's in a hospital with an unusual infection that they do not know what it is. And pray that God will give him another opportunity for him to surrender. See, miracles in itself does not save you. It is the one who did the miracle that saves you. It is not the idea. It is not the statement. It is not the philosophy. It is the one who embodies truth. What Jesus was telling them, you're looking into the face of truth. And you will know, if you know me, you will be set free. He put it in this way. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He was telling them this. Faith, genuine faith requires a continuation, not a flirtation. Genuine faith is not an interest or curiosity thing. It is a life-changing step that someone takes. Anyone can warm up to anything, but that doesn't mean they're, they're committed. It doesn't mean they're on board. And Jesus exposed the shallowness and the superficiality of what they consider faith. Look at verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What prompted their reaction? Was it because they considered themselves already free? They didn't need Jesus. They belonged to Abraham. They didn't need anything he was saying. They belonged to Abraham. At least in their minds, there wasn't anything about their life that was enslaving, right? But what did Jesus tell them? You don't know the sin that's in your life. That sin has enslaved you. When a person sins, this is what he said. When a person sins, he is a slave to sin. Sin enslaves you. Earlier in this uh, confrontation, verse 21 and 24, Jesus tells him three separate times, because they were rejecting him, he said three different times, you will die in your sin. You want to go where I'm going, but you will die in your sin. You want to look at me in one way, but you will die in your... Three different times, he says, you will die in your sin. And it never dawned on them that they were sinners, that there was problems in their life. C.S. Lewis said, the greatest sin, the great sin is a sin of pride that I don't need to confess, I don't need to repent. There's probably, should we be surprised that we may become at points in our life where we we try to remember the last time we confessed and asked the Lord for forgiveness or repented. And remember, sin is not defined by only what you do. It's defined sometimes by what you don't do. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. That's sin. And even, he even goes this far. Anything who's, that's not of faith. You ever had moments in your life that was not of faith? Anything that's not of faith, the Bible says it's sin. And I think the real danger for us is when we become so confident in maybe where we're at that we kind of lose sight of our own brokenness and our own propensity to look at things from a selfish. Listen, when you drive up to Walmart or Sam's, I guarantee you where you're trying to park. Because we don't want to walk any further than we have to. Even though, honestly, I need to walk further than I have to. But why do we do that? We look at lines when we're checking out, and what do we look for? Shortest line, and lo and behold, it never ceases to amaze me that somebody has something without a price tag on it. And it's no longer the shortest line. It's It's the most delayed line. Why do we do that? The same reason, think about this, the same reason that God told Cain, sin is crouching at your door Waiting to pounce on you. Did he not say that to Cain? Mm -hmm. Sin. Now, Cain couldn't say, you know what? It was video games that I was playing (laughs) that caused me to get off course. Or I watched too much television. Or music got me off course. I mean, he he has no example in front of him of somebody doing something horrific to someone else. And what does he do? In a rage of resentment, he kills his own brother. And the, and the Lord was telling him, I know the human nature inside of you, if you're not aware, sin is at your door ready to pounce on you. And if there's anything we need to be aware of is that he's just waiting for us to be a little overconfident in ourselves. And he's ready. He set the trap because we're kind of not going on faith. We're going on our track record. We're going how we're doing. And we're not aware that sin is there at the door, ready to pounce on us. You see, Jesus' take the will is great for a song, but does it really matter for Jesus to take the will? A lot of people say all kinds of phrases, but that doesn't mean they're going to let him take the will. They're not going to let him have control. They, they, they want him to fix things, but to not tell them what to do. They're okay with him being Savior, but Lord, just don't boss me. Just don't lord me. Don't require of me something that I really don't want to do. And you can't have that arrangement. That is not an, that is not an arrangement that he's okay with. I think these people was probably there. I think they thought Jesus is an interesting person. Look at him. Man, he's teaching his way over our heads. And everybody tries to challenge him in an open form. He doesn't turn anybody away. He doesn't reject any question. He handles everything out in public and open. And he's so confident, even the people who were sent to arrest him one time, and to get him, came back and says, Hey, that guy talks better than anybody we've ever seen. And so it would be easy for people to say, You know, there's something about him. There's something that draws me to him. And that doesn't mean they're accepting him as Lord and Savior. It just means they're curious. When he said, slavery to sin is real, we should pay attention. There's some decisions we make that's going to cost us. Because it's with our own interest that we make that decision. And we're not waiting for him to give us wisdom. We're not waiting for him to say no. We just barge right ahead. And I love this analogy. I love this analogy where he says, a slave doesn't have a permanent place in the family, but someone in the family has a permanent place. And he says that someone in the family that has a permanent place can be changing your status. This is why he said that when the son sets you free, when he that is in the family tells you, I want to make you part of the family, that's exactly what he does. He makes us co-heirs with him. And it's not on our terms, it's on his terms, right? Freedom is not free. The gift of God is eternal life. Does the passage stop there? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it might be free gift to us, but it was not free. It cost Jesus everything. Salvation is offered as a gift to us. But that doesn't mean it was free. It doesn't mean it was without cost. And even, even if you accept the free gift of salvation, here's what comes with it. If anybody will follow me, let them first do that most popular thing we ever do, is deny ourselves. We're professionals, right, at denying ourselves. We deny ourselves all the time. We only take a half a bowl of banana pudding instead of a full bowl. Huh? Someone said, I saw someone post something about, you know, when when we all get to heaven, southern people are going to be in charge of the barbecue. And then I said, no, not exactly. They're going to be in charge of the banana pudding because we do it better. You know, we deny ourselves. We're not not going to eat as much. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help us. Um, You know, probably a lot of us could just do some fasting. How about that? Well, that's, pastor, that's serious self-denial there. Are you following me? He's like, all right, the free gift of salvation, but if you're going to follow him, it comes with conditions that we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. That's the conditions. And these people weren't willing to do that. This week, whatever you do to celebrate July the 4th, celebrate our independence, I hope you remember that what we celebrate did not come free. The hundreds and thousands of people Gave their lives so that we could have a picnic on July the 4th. That we could remember, and, and John Adams, bless his heart, I want to tell you something. If you want to read a great historian's work, read David McCullough, anything he writes. Whether it's 1776, he wrote a book on John Adams, which was phenomenal. Or... um our Sacred Honor, which is William Bennett's book on letters that the Founding Fathers wrote to each, is an amazing book. These people, what they went through was horrible. They might have voted for something, but they were immediately in the crosshairs of the greatest power on the planet, Britain. And if it didn't work, all of them would have been charged with treason. They would have all been executed. This was not like, oh, this is such a neat idea. We're going to take on the most powerful nation on the planet. No, they understood, all of them understood what they were doing and what it would cost them. And did it ever cost them? It's kind of like what Jesus did for us on the cross, right? I love how Isaiah 53 relates it. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him when you put him to grief. It pleases the Lord to bruise him when thou shalt put him to grief, make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. The father shall see the travail of the soul of his son and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. An interesting word, not just sin, iniquities. It includes our self-determination, our ideas, our way of seeing things, our self-promotion, self-centeredness, everything about us. He carried everything. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we can say, you know what? I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. If we're comparing ourselves with some other people, yeah. Unless you want to confront the statement that Jesus made. There is no one good. Why do you call me good? Did he say that? Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. So in a relative sense, we can be good when we compare ourselves with other people. But in in the face of God, we are like, Thank you, Father, for my iniquity being laid upon Jesus because I was hopelessly able to come to you without that. Only through a perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross can we be reconciled to God. It is the single greatest thing that's ever been done for humanity. That when Jesus went to the cross, he went there for every single human being. You can tell it in Sri Lanka to someone. You can tell it in India, Nepal, in Africa. You can tell it around the world to Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and and, uh, all kinds of religions, secular, atheists. We can tell every person that God so loved you, he gave himself, his son, for your sins. I like the way Isaiah 53 ends. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. As the praise team comes up. Freedom is not free. Freedom in Jesus... Doesn't cost us anything, but it costs him everything. And if we're going to be disciples, it's going to be with those conditions. We have to continue in his word, have space for him. Isn't it interesting? He told these people, you don't have room for me. You don't have space in your heart for my word. You, you, you might be interested in me, but you're not interested in what I'm saying. And in reality, you've joined sides with my opposition. You're of your father, The devil. I want to tell you, if you read the rest of chapter 8, it really goes sideways. <laughs> before that, that conversation is over, before it's finished, they're ready to kill him. They were ready to kill him. The reality is we all killed him. We all killed him. Our sins is why he died. Let me just mention a couple of things to you. I'll give you a couple examples Five signers of the Declaration of Independence were captured by the British and tortured as traitors. Nine fought in the war and died from the wounds, from hardships they suffered. Two lost their sons in the Continental Army. Another two sons captured. At least a dozen of the 56 signers had their homes pillaged and burned. We've all heard the term John Hancock. In the face of the British Army moving from Philadelphia, moving to Philadelphia, John Hancock and his wife, who had just had a baby, had to flee. And due to the complications of having to flee, the baby did not live very long. Richard Stockton, at the time a New Jersey State Supreme Court Justice, well-educated man, had a plantation in Princeton He went home to find that his wife and his children were living as refugees with family or friends they had been betrayed by a tory sympathizer and they had revealed where stockton was staying in the middle of the night british troops pulled him from his bed beat him threw him in jail where he almost starved to death when he was finally released he went home to find his estate had been looted his possessions burned His horses stolen. Judge Stockton had been so badly treated in prison that his health was ruined, and he died before the war ended. It's said his surviving family had to live the remainder of their lives off charity. That's just two of many stories. But the greatest story is what happened at the cross in the empty tomb. Would you stand with me?